of institutions, public education about education for families, educators, and even students of all ages. Today's section is originally posted on July 5th, 2019. It's a few weeks into summer for most of us now, and I hope kids are being kept busy and adults are staying sane. It's all about Summer Slide today, and I would recommend this section to parents and guardians. We're going to talk about Summer Slide in two parts today. First will be what Summer Slide exactly is, including basic research and statistics on how it impacts students. Second will be how to mitigate or even reverse Summer Slide into summer growth. So for those of you who don't know yet, Summer Slide is when students forget things that they learn during the school year while they're on summer vacation. During summer, students aren't usually using everything that they learn during the school year on a daily basis or even weekly. A lot of times, they're not using anything again until summer's over and the new year's starting up. So like any other skills or knowledge, it gets rusty. It's called summer slide in a way because students aren't as active when it comes to academics. And on a slide, of course, you'll slip down while you're just sitting there. The concept of forgetting things, though, should be familiar to everyone. For the older students, college and high school, they might say it happens a lot quicker. Like, for example, when they're cramming for the finals, they might feel like their brain kind of deflates after they finish the test. For us adults, you might realize sometimes when you look at your kid's homework, you recognize something that you also learned when you were a kid, but you haven't done it in so long, so you've forgotten how it works. There's a big catch here, though. As adults or even older students, it's okay to forget how to do things because you actually don't need it again. One cliche that I've heard from even my own students is the question, when, when am I ever going to use this again? Like for real, I never needed to know the phases of the moon for all my life. And I only found out and learned them when I needed to teach them. But the problem for younger kids is that they do need to remember what they learned because a lot of what they learn is foundational knowledge for other concepts. If a kindergarten kid is forgetting how to add eight plus five when they get back to school for first grade, they need to relearn it. And they really can't be asking, when am I ever gonna use this again? So summer slide isn't something we can just wave away. Even for older students, which we'll get to later, it can be serious. Now, the question is, how much do kids forget? How bad is it really? For sure, it's nice to have a long break so that students can go be kids, families can go on vacation, and as a teacher, I'm not fighting anyone on keeping your kids for an extra two months. So to understand how much kids forget, we need to run some numbers. And as with pretty much everything else, the complete answer is that it depends case by case. So we'll start off with the averages. Summer slide has been around since school started taking summers off. And the first studies on it started 100 years ago. There's a lot out there to read. And we teachers completely expect summer slide and we actually plan for it. Generally, the American academic calendars that I've worked with, that I've seen all around, they have around 180 days in school, 181, 82, whatever. And when you put in breaks and vacations, that ends up working out to 10 months in school. To figure out how much learning was lost or forgotten, the simplest way would be to just test kids right before summer vacation starts, and then right after when they get back to school. So that's what was done in one 1996 study by Cooper and Nye. Overall scores and everything from all students dropped by the equivalent of one month of learning. One month. So that might not seem bad to you, 
But remember what I said earlier about the kindergartner forgetting simple addition? This means that when kids get back to school, the teacher and students are spending time working on stuff from the previous year. It's not like you can forget something and it's too bad, so sad, but we're going to move on. It's more like the teacher going, okay class, we got to check on what you all remember from last year, so let's take a test on the beginning of the year stuff. We have math, reading, writing. Now I need to take a week to grade it all and plan lessons that will get us back on track. Then after all this relearning, I'll do some mini tests or quizzes to see what we were able to relearn. And then we might need to go back and do that again if we didn't pick it up. So it's pretty grueling, at least for a teacher. For sure, it's easier to refresh and relearn things the second time around. And reviewing last year's material might be a good way for kids to warm up after two months of who knows what. From an, edu from an educational standpoint, though, that's a pretty big use of time when classes are doing that from first grade up until, I don't know, we'll say eighth grade. That's an overall eight months gone to summer slide. Even if we only count elementary school, that's five months. But so far, this isn't really a complete answer to how much is lost during the summer. One month was only the average across all the ages and subjects, and importantly, all socioeconomic groups. So what that is is, for example, upper class, middle class, lower class in terms of income. Like, usually if you're in lower class, that's 30,000 annual income or less. Middle class, I don't know, I'll guesstimate around like 50 to 70 to 80 and upper class, well, you're making six figures. Um, that's just US on average. But that one month is average loss across all those socioeconomic groups. The same 1996 study, along with a 2016 study by Quinn and Cook and others found that people with less money, students from low income families, so making 30,000 or less, lost more in their scores. This feels pretty common sense, as in the idea that kids with low income would probably not get as much summer camp or tutoring, or in general, their families are less capable in keeping learning or basic intellectual engagement going at home because they have less money to afford it. They have less time and less energy to look for things for their kids to do. They might live in an area that has less opportunities available and so on, it just piles on. Kids from middle class background actually gain in reading overall. So that seems to follow reasoning. All studies that I read that looked at summer slide with the lens of socioeconomic status observed that pattern of the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. But none of this exactly means that if you're in that low income band, you just have no options. And then if you're in middle class or upper class, you don't have to worry about it. First off, I specifically said that families in the middle class bracket gained in reading because they actually showed losses in math, along with, of course, low income. This goes along with the concept of summer slide because it's still common, or I hope it's still common, that people take their kids to the library and have them get some comics, picture books, or novels to read throughout summer. On the other hand, I haven't heard of families that are having their kids checking out a math textbook or getting worksheets printed out. So we're all generally summer sliding in math, and there's not many cases of kids getting math practice every day in some practical situations. There's maybe some basic addition or subtraction from video games. I mean, a kid might argue that 
They're calculating hit points or shield or V-Bucks in Fortnite. But I somehow doubt that kids are really being that conscious when playing. Now, it gets a bit worse because the older kids tend to lose more of their learning. Middle schoolers, high school, and even college. This might seem a bit confusing because you might think that since they're older, they might have gotten better at studying and remembering. Study skills and memory techniques do get better, but the opposition to this are the concepts that older students need to learn. The knowledge and skills that students learn as they get older increase in complexity and abstraction, and you're going to have less real-world practice with any of that because the question of when am I ever going to use this again starts to become an actual challenge to learning. Let's just take a fifth grade math concept for a spin. Fifth graders are supposed to learn to divide a whole number by fractions or vice versa. For example, six divided by a fourth. They don't have to do fractions divided by fractions yet, by the way. You might remember that when dividing fractions, you need to take the reciprocal of the fraction or basically switch the numerator and denominator, which should look like you're flipping the fraction. Then you multiply instead of divide. So you'd have six times four over one, which is just six times four. So that'd be 24. For plenty of you, that's easy to remember, but I'm betting that plenty of you also have forgotten how to do that. So the foundation behind that problem is intuitive in a real world situation. How many fourths would you have if you cut up six whole pizzas or apples or whatever? But how many people, and especially how many fifth graders, are going to think of it as six divided by a fourth? It's more abstract, and I wouldn't even want to get started on high school stuff. I haven't used trig since then and definitely couldn't do it now for a million bucks. So math is fading for most students over summer. And that's rough because even though we might not need to remember everything, there's general ed requirements for both high school and college graduation. Middle and upper class families aren't getting a pass for summer just by virtue of being better resourced. But what about some good news for low income families? After all, it might be manageable to shore up summer learning, which we'll get to soon. But what if you also don't have much money or time to spare? Most families worry about their kids falling behind when compared to other kids, no matter they're making $200,000 a year or not making much, like $20,000 or less. That's a question that I get asked a lot by parents, like compare my kid to other kids. Are they in the upper bracket, middle bracket, lower bracket? So if you're low income, your kids could easily be falling further and further behind others whose families can provide more. All these studies mentioned before actually see this happening, which is another major reason why educators care about summer slide. The perpetuation of inequity and all that, but going deep into that would be for a future section. The good news for low income families and really everyone is that even relatively minor interventions and activities for summer learning can help out a lot. In one study, a reading program for low income families called Reads that's R-E-A-D-S, just had kids do summer reading and write about the assigned books. Teachers prepared kids on doing the program before summer vacation started, but there wasn't really much else done. The kids brought home books and they just had worksheets to do with their family. And these kids that did the program ended up with results as if they went to summer school. And a 2013 study backs this up. Interestingly, they found that Summer reading programs make a big impact with low-income students, bigger than any other groups. If a summer program, a small program like this, can help out this much, something more direct should do even more. 
a larger program started in 2013 that actually hosted a free voluntary summer school for low-income elementary school students in multiple places, Boston, Dallas, Duval County in Florida, and, and more. They looked at the effectiveness of summer school. And of course, the students that were going and that were more focused ended up with long-lasting benefits in math, reading, writing, and even social-emotional skills. In some areas, the kids carried the positive effects of summer school throughout the entire following school year. But wait, isn't summer school just for kids that are way behind and about to be held back a grade? Sometimes yes, usually yes, but they didn't run summer school that way. It was voluntary, and that's really important because it's not easy to be eight years old and get forced to do more school during summer because you weren't good enough compared to your classmates. I'm big on building character and tough love, but I also know that students learn less if they feel too negatively about it day in and day out. I remember once myself when I was in school that I had to do summer school or else I would get held back a grade. And that was probably the worst summer of my life. The middle ground for elementary schools now is to usually offer summer school to students to students that are behind so that it's voluntary. But there are still definitely cases of middle school and high school students having to retake a class in summer so that they can pass or graduate. In the end, summer programs help a lot with some of them giving first dibs to low-income families. And sometimes they're even better for low-income families than other groups of people. But overall, summer programs can support all students. So let's start looking at the specific options. A quick note I want to share before we get right into it. I am not and have never been affiliated with any of these summer programs, camps, tutoring centers, and so on that are mentioned in today's section. I have little personal experience with them, and I'll be trying to stay as unbiased as I can when we get to talking about them. We'll start with summer school, offered by your local school districts or even college, but it's just too late at this point to do much about it because... I kind of just fell behind on getting this recording out. You can take the information and tuck it away for next year or just re-listen to this part again. So for elementary schools, teachers generally note the kids that they want to offer summer school to. And they might do this by directly tapping your student and sending home a letter or giving a list to the school or district office and then the school or district office will send a note home to you or an email. Whatever the case, if your student is behind grade level, and you really want to get them into summer school, you're best off talking to the teacher. I wouldn't assume that any student that's not quite meeting grade level standards would get selected for summer school because sometimes priority is given to students that are closer to being at grade level than far below. In low performing districts, there just isn't going to be enough room or funding for summer school for everyone. So it sounds bad, but sometimes students get left behind. That's like most things in the world, and education is filled with compromises and flaws the more you learn about it. Talk to the teacher if you want your student in, because teachers will, will want to pick students that they think will regularly attend. If your student is par or above grade level, summer school probably won't be available to them. I don't have as much knowledge with middle school, but I would think that the process is similar for remedial classes by subject area. As for high school and college, summer slide is still real. If you have a major declared or want to keep advancing towards AP whatever, you will definitely forget some of the material. 
and you'll need to relearn it for the next class along the track. All those notes that are taken during the semester could be used to review for the latter half of the summer instead of just being tossed in the recycling after finishing finals. There are also online courses, ex-classmates and friends. You could even help out people over some of our taking the class that you just finished. Your high school student might not be able to keep the learning going exactly on the track of a major IB or AP course, but the key thing is to be productive, productive one way or another. I definitely wasn't working on Chemistry 101 to get ready for OCHEM in the fall, and although I wouldn't recommend jamming your summers full of classes, it's usually a good time for relevant internships, general ed courses that you want to get out of the way, or at least working some job. Even self-studying is an option if you can gross discipline enough. In my summers, I studied a lot for AP courses because they weren't actually offered by my, mm, not low income, but not the most prestigious high school. So I took time on my own to study AP. When I first started college, I worked out so that I could graduate in two years if I jammed classes into my summers because I took summer classes in high school and had enough credits along with fulfilling general ed requirements. It was a bit crazy, so I opted for a three-year plan instead. You could also just travel if your family has so much money, but do not just hang out at home. So back to younger students. Besides summer school, the traditional American summer option is summer camp. There's a ton of options with different price ranges and activities, so I'm gonna talk in general terms. American Camp Association is a good place to start your own research. That's acacamps.org. They say day camps range from $200 a week to upwards of $800 per week. And I found camps offered in California in that quoted range. For tight budgets, they list the ways that camps try to be accessible to low-income families. I also found this to be true when I was doing research. So YMCA camps, they're listed as $325 a week but they're cheaper if you're a member of the Y and they keep your kids from 7.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. So it covered a regular daytime work schedule if you work. And of course, they offer financial assistance. Just like other camps these days, they offer camps directed towards science, technology, engineering, and art. I didn't see anything that was explicitly math, you know, to complete the STEAM acronym, but there might be math camps at other YMCA locations. With the full price, Eight weeks of camp comes out to 2600 which is a big chunk of change, but it's on the lower end of pricing, and it can get only get cheaper if you're a member of the Y or low income. Higher end option, Camp Galileo for $470 to $70 a week. You only get 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., and you need to shell out 600 a week um, instead of 470 if you want similar hours to the Y, so it's a bit less than double the price. They offer the similarly named courses as Y, and they had a sale on Memorial Day weekend for $150 off per week. So the American Camp Association website says you can plan early and buy early to get the best deals. You can note this for next year because it's too late for that now. But most camps also offer discounts if you send more than one kid or buy multiple weeks. For one more saving note on camps, or a money saving note, you might be able to write off the camp costs when doing taxes. The ACA camps website says more about that. Overall, camps aren't going to be as directed towards test scores as summer school, of course. 
and the staff is probably not going to be made up of credentialed teachers, but it keeps the learning going. Sending books along for a kid to read when they have downtime at, time at camp is also going to give them a chance to be more accountable for reading if you don't check in with your student on your own. If I remember correctly from my own experience with camp, the last bit of extended day camp, the one that lasts until 6, it was pretty much all reading time for me at the end. If you're looking for something more academically driven and your student isn't eligible for summer school, you could try looking into tutoring centers. They're growing and they've already been a mainstay in other countries. So Kumon is one, it came from Japan, and it charges around $90 per subject for a month for two 30-minute sessions a week. You can stack on subjects to get your kid there more often and maybe fill the rest of their week. Um, and with the other time, you can do sort of normal kid stuff with them. They can go to sports or music or dance or whatever. It's not really exciting. Kumon is pretty dry. I'll be straightforward. It's worksheets, drills, memorizing the steps to do some procedure like the fraction division example from earlier. But it's an option. The emphasis on that type of practice is decreased in the current Common Core standards. But I've got to say that from my own experience, that the kids that I've had that went to tutoring center during the school year did better in my class. Um, there's a lot of variables that play into that, like the fact that the family was able to afford it, the family may have had more time to dedicate to their kid, like driving them back and forth from tutoring, and so much more. But overall, it is nice to know that the kids have their math facts down and they read more outside of school in a sort of formal setting. Um, another sort of tutoring center, Sylvan. Um, I know less about them, but from my research, they seem to offer more variety as a center. They were priced by the week at 150 for two hours a day, and they offered courses like day camps, um, programming, robotics, and so on. The financial aid for these for-profit tutoring centers is less robust than day camps, though. Finally, here are some options with no out-of-pocket expenses. Number one go to the library. I cannot stress enough how much of a resource the library can be. And I'm honestly sad every time I go there and it's pretty much empty. There was a book called Tomas and the Library Lady that I read when I was young that really started me on libraries. But let me just list some things you can find there. To begin with, if you're not in California and experience the full force of Four Seasons, your library has free AC and water. Most of them have decent computers with internet access. I've even seen ones that rent out iPads, which was wild because I remember the clunky rear projection monitors that could basically do nothing except look at the library catalog and word processing. There's community events there throughout the summer like movies, read-alouds, art, and more. So much more. Most also run a summer reading challenge. The staff is usually pretty knowledgeable and can help you with whatever they have to offer because most of them are volunteers and actually want to be there to be helpful. Oh, and there's free books to check out. If you're afraid of your kid losing books and you needing to pay, which was a legitimate concern that I've had parents share with me, I'm going to be a bit bad here and just say that the library won't really do anything to you except maybe not let you borrow more books until you pay. You can be late with books, lose them, and so on, but please don't do that on purpose just because you can. They might not want you back if you cause too much trouble. I'm sure I've forgotten a lot, but seriously, bring your kids to the library. The last idea I have to offer for summer learning 
is also free as long as you have internet, which isn't exactly free, but you are paying for it. Your school district has likely taught your student to practice things at school on different math, reading, and miscellaneous learning websites. These might be called adaptive learning programs or software by your teachers or school. In brief, adaptive learning is supposed to be a computer program or website that figures out your students' strengths and weaknesses in subject area knowledge as they go through it, like which is what they know and they don't know specifically in math or reading. And it's supposed to change as students work through it to match their level. Um, they aren't really as adaptive and smart, these programs, as they might sell themselves to be for many reasons, but they can really support some learning for your kids. And these programs are really popular now in classrooms and school district offices, for better or for worse. To talk more about them would require a separately dedicated section, but getting your kid to do some work on them at home would be better than nothing, and could even supplement whatever else you have going on this summer. Um, before I talk about them, I want to say again that I'm not directly affiliated with what I'm about to talk about, but in this case, I have a lot of personal experience. I've had my own students work on them. I've had them mandated by school districts. Um, overly familiar, maybe. First, we'll start with the free ones that you can access at home without having to pay anything. For math, Prodigy Game. It can be super fun for kids, give them basic review of whatever they've already learned, and give them just practice. It's a basic, massive, multiplayer, online role-playing game, or MMORPG, for those of you that are familiar with gaming. Kids create an account and a cartoon-style character. It's pretty cutesy. And they play by going through a fantasy world. They fight monsters, customize their characters, buy pets, and so on. It's really good for kids that are third grade and above, because there's a lot of text that they kind of would want to read in the game. But... Younger kids can get by, even if they can't read super well. You can just play. Most of the time, I haven't seen kids learn anything new, because it doesn't really teach them problem-solving strategies or concepts well. It's more for review and extra practice, in my opinion. Once in a while, I see a student that will look things up going outside the game because they really want to solve some problems correctly. But anyway, the big selling point for me is that kids really like it, and they'll play it for a long time, even if the problems are hard. Not all kids will love it, but it feels legitimately fun for many students. It's free to play, but it tries to tempt students to buy membership so that they can get special items and level up faster. And you might want to support that because, I mean, it's learning, and it's not, it's not a small chunk of change, but it's not that big. Other options include SumDog, which is mini-games and fairly limited unless you buy membership. And there's Khan Academy for older students, like middle school. Khan Academy is not really game-like at all. It's more like watching lectures that are pre-recorded for college courses. But kids can learn a lot on their own if they're disciplined, or they might even get rewarded for working on it if you want to set up some sort of system for that. Uh, moving on to reading, I know less about free options for reading for kids, but the first one that I just want to remind you of and really stress is your local library. And one thing that they might have for you to do at home is an ebook catalog. It's free. It can empower your kid to become an independent learner. 
and it can just be a powerful resource depending on the quality of your local library. Ebooks, they have catalogs ranging from graphic novels like Narwhal and Jelly to Charlotte's Web for younger readers. Even you could check out ebooks and read along with your kids. Books in non-English languages are also available if your student or entire family is looking for that. And there could be an appreciable amount of diverse representation in the library, depending on where you are. And audiobooks are usually offered as well. Other than the library, I would highly recommend Epic Books, which goes by getepic.com. Searching just Epic online will get you to Fortnite, as most of my students found out. It's free to schools, but if you're using it at home, you'll probably need to buy a monthly subscription. It's $8 a month, and you can get a free trial for a month, which would cover half your summer. My students, they've all enjoyed it, and it offers a broad selection of books. There's read aloud and read along options. Um, what I call read along, it basically pulls up the pages of the book like normal and plays an audio recording of the book, but it also highlights text in sync with the audio. Students can also interact with the text by doing quizzes, making their own quizzes. They can watch kid-friendly videos. Um, there's Minecraft videos on there though, which is still kid-friendly, but not as academic. I would say it's well worth the price. The last reading resource is Newzella, so that's News ELA. It's free, and although it looks like there's no specific parent or student accounts, you can set up an account on your own going through some steps that they list on the FAQ uh, article about setting up a parent account. Students read news articles about real world, current events, and the articles are written to match kids' reading levels. You can change the complexity of the text too according to something called Lexile level. If you're not familiar with that, um, basically I would just have your student look at the text on higher and lower levels, um, higher is higher number, and lower is just a lower number according to the level. And just let them pick which one to read at, whichever one they're comfortable with. Because just looking up the Lexile levels according to grade level on like Google, it's not the best method to choose the level of text to give to your child because um, they might be above or below the average for that grade. And most kids usually are. Newzella isn't as bright or colorful as Epic Books, but some kids are really up to read news articles. I know I was. They cover topics from climate change to immigration to popular video games, and it's all kid-friendly. Lastly, I want to bring up something called Brain Pop, um, and you've probably heard of it. It's not exclusively reading or math, but it actually covers pretty much all school subjects. It offers short videos on topics ranging from animals to World War II. It's all really child-friendly, but it costs $11 a month unless your kid can get in from a student account linked to school. And like I said, you've probably heard of it because Brain Pop, it seems really widespread, at least in California. So a lot of kids can probably use it at home, either logging in directly or getting to it through Google Apps. I've had students that'll finish work and they'll just wanna go on Brain Pop watching all sorts of videos for as long as I'll let them. There are quizzes, games, and other ways to interact, but I would say it's getting a bit outdated and it could probably use some updating or redesign. It's mostly for elementary grade kids though, and they won't really care how clunky it looks. Overall, it's a much better alternative to giving kids free reign on YouTube because even with filters on, I've seen too many inappropriate videos slide through. Right now, there's a lot of controversy with YouTube that you might have heard of. 
they're trying and kind of failing to make itself kid-friendly for both content producers and viewers. And maybe sometime after this section, um, YouTube will become a safe option for kids. But the problem is that, of course, YouTube was never originally meant for kids. Um, of course, you could still do YouTube as long as an adult is present and it's a great resource. There's so many ways matching all different levels of your children's age, your resources, your family's resources, and what your kids are interested in. Sometimes there's a perception that summer is for playing and recharging, but seriously, if a student is coming back to school, having only played Fortnite, Minecraft, Roblox, or even being off the computer and hanging out with friends going out, they're going to be having a harder time getting back to school, and they'll be at a disadvantage to their classmates that went to library or at summer learning camps. The academics can really go hand in hand with recreation and even video games, and it'll still be fun and wholesome for your kids. If anything, I would say that summer is an opportunity for kids to learn things that they're more personally interested in without having to worry about taking a test. Whatever you do this summer, we're all in this together for the kids and we're always learning. This is The Institution, and if you want to reach out, you can email theinstitutionpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at institutionpod. New sections will come out as quickly as I can put them out this summer. And I'm planning on figuring out a regular schedule during the school year for listening to on weekday mornings for your drive to work or school or the drive home. Thanks for listening.